Brilliant. So yes, I'm Alan, and uh, I am going to be speaking with you uh, this evening for a short while. And uh, before I begin, I just want to ask, who are you? Who are you? And the reason I ask that is that um, over Friday night, uh, Saturday, I've been down to visit my dad. Now, I haven't seen my dad for quite a while. There's been a pandemic on, uh, and he's not been well. So, uh, so it's the first time I've seen him since Christmas 2019, a long time, which meant that it was his opportunity to spoil me. So uh, he took us out on the Friday night for an absolutely awesome Italian meal. Um, I didn't realize you could spend £25 on a steak, uh, but apparently you can, and then you can add sauce to that too. And uh, so we had an absolutely fantastic meal, great to catch up with him. And then uh, as we were just finishing, as we were paying the bill, as Dad was paying the bill, uh, there was a guy that I recognized who um, was uh, somebody that we knew from the village. Uh, my father had uh, bought a car for my eldest brother from him. And I recognized him, and as he walked past, I hailed him. Hey. I won't give his name, just in case. Uh, but I hailed him. And uh, he sort of turned and, and came back, and uh, he said, Who are you? I said, you won't know me. We were sat in a little alcove, so uh, he couldn't actually see my father at this time, who we would know an awful lot better. And so you may not recognize me, but you will recognize me guilty by association, in which case my, my dad passed uh, around, uh, and I'm the youngest of three brothers. And he said, so, okay, it's, it's Derek, it's your dad. So which one are you? And uh, I said, well, I'm, I'm the youngest. I'm the one from up in Sheffield. And he said, ah, you're the pulpit man. <laughs> and then he promptly turned around and he went and he sat down. And I thought, I'm the pulpit man. I thought, this is different. I used to be the swimmer many years ago, but now I'm the pulpit man. So just as we start tonight, I just wonder, who are you? I wonder what your parents or, or folk that you know, how they would describe you. What would they say about you? Is it two words? Is there a lot more? Who are you? And uh, hopefully I can weave that in because I thought that was a, a lovely little way to start. But hopefully I can weave that in because we are looking at our series of Exiles and Ambassadors. And it's a series that we're going through both morning and evening. And in the morning, we're looking at the book of uh, Nehemiah, uh, when the exiles who have been taken off into a distant land begin to come back and begin to build the walls of Jerusalem. So exiles, um, strangers in their own land. What I want you to think about is that question, who are you? Because when we look at exiles and ambassadors, as we unpack that, as we go through uh, these series, it stands on the fact that our identity isn't given by our natural fathers to uh, people that they know. It's not the guy that you meet in the Italian restaurant who calls you the pulpit man. I shall get a badge made up for that, I think, as I, as I wander around. But our identity is given to us, we believe, by our Father in heaven. And so Psalm 139 says this, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together, God, in my mother's womb. 
I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. You see, God not only knows you, but he created you. He designed you to be the very people that you are today. So I don't know what labels you wear. I don't expect there are many pulpit men out there. But what is it that God says about you? He says that you are known, that you are loved, that you are no mistake, that you are no accident, that he created you just the way that you are, that you are in exactly the right place that he has for you at this moment. What's more, we learn in Scripture that not only are you chosen by God, selected by him, hand-picked, but you're also blessed by him to bring a blessing to those around us. That part of our identity, as Tom touched on last week, is that we are called to be God's representatives on earth. That wherever we go, we shine something of God's light, that we bring something of a flavor of heaven. It says in the Lord's Prayer, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so as ambassadors, chosen, beloved by God, blessed, we get to bring something, a a foretaste of heaven to earth. It's what we pray for, but it's also what it is that we are sent for. So as we look at this series, Exiles and Ambassadors, the key is to know that we are loved and that we are blessed by God, that his grace poured out for us, Jesus' death on the cross for us, show and demonstrate just how precious we are to our Father in heaven. We must remember that we are sent as representatives each of us to represent our King and our Father here on earth. And the final thing that I think that we need to wrestle with this evening and as we go through this series is who or where are we being sent to? So we're going to read our passage in just a moment. We're in the book of Acts. We're in chapter 13, uh, continuing on the start of Paul's first missionary journey. And uh, you will hopefully remember from, uh, from the previous weeks that Paul was this great persecutor of the church. He'd gone from town to town looking to arrest early converts and early followers of Jesus. Uh, and uh, he had met dramatically with Jesus on the road to Damascus. And his life had been turned upside down. He disappears for a little while. And then we discover him again in Tarsus, his hometown, teaching and preaching among the Jews, convincing or trying to convince them that Jesus is the one, the long-awaited Messiah. Meanwhile, 
a little bit further away in a place called Antioch. Uh, there's other people, church planters, other early uh, disciples of Jesus who are, uh, who are teaching, who are preaching, who are uh, training people in the way of Jesus. And it's all kicking off in Antioch. It's all going crazy. People are coming to faith. Uh, people are being saved. And so there are hundreds and hundreds of people coming to faith. And so Barnabas, who's there in this time, he sends off uh, thinking, you know what? We need some good teachers of, uh, of the word of God. So he himself gets up and he goes off to Tarsus because he knows Paul. And uh, he persuades Paul to come back with him to Antioch. And they spend a year preaching and teaching the way in this place of Antioch. And then after a year, there's a prayer gathering. The elders of Antioch gather. And as they're praying, the Holy Spirit makes it really clear that they're to set apart Paul and Barnabas for the work that God has assigned for them to do. So they pray a little bit more, they fast a little bit more, and then they lay their hands on them. And they pray for them and they send them off. And they first go off to Cyprus and then off to Pisidian Antioch. It's another Antioch, but it's hundreds of miles away from the first. It's now in, uh, in ancient Turkey rather than in, uh, in Syria, modern-day Syria. So they're up in Turkey. And then last week's message, Paul, uh, Tom brought uh, Paul's great uh, sermon and uh, we pick it up now in Acts 13, verses 42 to 52. And it says this. As Paul and Barnabas were leaving the synagogue, the people invited them to speak further about these things on the next Sabbath. When the congregation was dismissed, many of the Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who taught with them and urged them to continue in the grace of God. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. When the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy. They began to contradict what Paul was saying and heaped abuse on him. Then Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly, We had to speak the word of God to you first. But since you Jews reject it and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, we now turn to the Gentiles. For this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honored the word of the Lord. And all who were appointed for eternal life believed. The word of the Lord spread through the whole region. But the Jewish leaders incited the God-fearing women of high standing and the leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. So they shook the dust off their feet as a warning to them and went to Iconium, just a couple of miles away. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. As I say, we need to know that we are loved by God. We need to know that we are a sent people and we need to know where it is that God is sending you and I. We see in the passage that for Paul and Barnabas, they go to their Jewish, uh, to their Jewish counterparts. Paul was a Jew, and they preach in the synagogue. And uh, this was their sort of final act before they stepped into the call that God was laying upon them, which was to go to the Gentiles. You thought the task of going to the Jews was big enough. The Gentiles are everybody else. 
The Jews were the chosen people by God through the history and through the book of the Bible. But in Jesus, we see that call and that message go from a select group of people pushed out to the ends of the earth. And Paul and Barnabas are God's chosen vessels to carry that message to you and to me. I don't know how many Jews we've got in this evening. If you are, you are very welcome. But most of us, the vast majority of us who are here, are non-Jews. We are the Gentiles to whom Paul was sent. It's because of him that we sit here today. And they do say that in Pisidian Antioch, it's perhaps the first place there where there was a, uh, a community of non-Jewish believers, the first non-Jewish church that was planted from which all the others are spread. But just as we see in the passage, we see that there is this huge breakthrough, huge breakthrough for Paul and, uh, and Barnabas. But at the same time, they encounter huge, significant opposition. And so we see, first of all, they're speaking in the synagogue, and uh, that goes down rather well. And so as they're leaving, they're invited to speak more. There's this great breakthrough and an openness to what it is that they're trying to say. And as they leave and they go from that place, they're pursued uh, by folk that have heard them speak, and they're asking questions, and uh, they're urged to continue speaking and leading and teaching and training in the grace of God. And then, uh, so imagine uh, you get these visiting speakers that come and land in the mighty land of crooks. And they share a mess, they turn up in church and they share a message. And there's a little bit of a buzz that goes through those that are gathered. Who are these people? What is this message that they bring? And so the following week, they're invited back to share a little bit more. And then the whole of crooks has heard whispers that something really excited is going on and all of crooks turn out to hear it's a breakthrough that's going on in this place of Pisidian Antioch but as they come the following Sabbath the next Saturday and the whole city turns out the Jews are filled with jealousy the opposition begins Paul and Barnabas are contradicted shouted down no doubt in public public that they're wrong that this isn't the way this who is this Jesus this isn't Abraham and uh, and the religion that we follow this is wrong this is wrong they're shouted down and they're abused but as they explain that their call is now no longer to the Jewish people, but to the Gentiles, the Gentiles are glad and they are honored. There's still breakthrough going on. And we hear in the passage that the word of the Lord spread throughout the whole region. So it's no longer contained in crooks and the buzz that's going on there. But even the people of Broom Hill have heard the message down into the city. Down beyond uh, the, uh, the train station, there weren't trains at the time. I know I'm just using the picture of Sheffield as a little bit of a representative. But over onto uh, City Road and up the hill into the estates and beyond, the whole region begins to hear and begins to buzz about this message about Jesus, about his gospel. Out into the townships, over into Mosborough, the whole region there's breakthrough going on. And what's happening behind the scenes is that the Jewish leaders are inciting the women of high standing 
I wouldn't want to get on the wrong side of the women of high standing, nor the leading men of the city. And they stir up trouble, so much so that persecution breaks out. They're hounded out of town, and they have to leave the region and go next door to Iconium. When we see huge breakthroughs, we also see the pushback. You see, the message of God, his way, a life of love and generosity and peace that stands against abuses of power, as we stand for truth, that there will be opposition. You see, we may come and we may sing the songs of worship. We may come and hear whoever it is that's preaching on a Sunday with a message. But the message that we hear, the gift that God has given us, isn't for us. Just as in the same way when uh, God called Abraham and blessed him, he was to bring blessing to the whole earth. It's why we must know that God loves us, that he died for us, that his spirit has been poured out for us. Because as we carry this message, as we take up the call on our lives to be ambassadors, we will face opposition. And what we learn through scripture and what we learn in the passage is that God's enemy and the enemy to his message is very real and we look around at the world today and we see hunger we see poverty we see refugees we see massive inequality we see exploitation we see people trafficked we see a relentless pursuit of the bottom line by the big corporations we see corruption we see fake news we live in a time of council culture when i don't like you so i'm not going to listen and i'm just going to turn my face away there's a world full of greed and hate and anger and internet trolling. Never thought I'd say that from my pulpit. We see tax avoidance. We see an erosion of trust. We see money being the motivation, power, the pursuit. And then we sit in church. We ask the question, what can we do? We're called as God's children, as his kids, as princes in the kingdom. There is no greater power than our Lord Jesus, Lord of Lord and King of Kings. There is no greater person that we could serve than God himself, the one who flung the stars into space. Jesus calls us to bless the city. Jesus calls us to make a difference, to take a stand for his kingdom. A quiet, underground, unassuming re rebellion against the status quo. It's not a call to take up arms. Jesus never took up arms. He allowed his arms to be stretched out wide for those in the world to do their worst. He forgave. He 
poured out blessing on those that really didn't deserve it. And that, brothers and sisters, is you and me. But he calls us to a quiet, underground, unassuming rebellion so that he might call a people to himself that will speak the truth, that will be men and women who are honest, who are open, who walk with integrity, who will be loving and blessing and honor those around them, who live lives of self-sacrifice and respect. But we will get pushback. So we love and we serve. Reconciled to God, we seek to bring reconciliation to those around us. We take a stand against injustice. We put others' interests above our own, even if they make our lives difficult. We tell the truth. We accept responsibility when we've done stuff wrong. We don't look for the scapegoat and expect somebody else to, carry, uh, to take up um, our blame. We walk with integrity. We never control nor manipulate. We empower. We raise up. We forgive. We bless. We're generous. We're hospitable. We do what it is that Jesus did when he walked the earth. It's a quiet, unassuming rebellion. It's the yeast in the batch. It's the salt scattered. It's who you are. It's who I am. Jesus said, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He said, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus promises us that it ain't going to be easy. But it is going to be worth it. So tonight's question. Where is it that you've been sent? A little clue? Where are you now? The house that you're in right now. Is it happy? Is it calm? Is it content? Are there squabbles? Are there fights? Is it harmony? Well, God's placed you there to make a difference. Your street, do you know your neighbors? How can you bless them? The workplace, what's kicking off? Is there gossip? Is there slander? Is there injustice? Is there bullying? Who's going to make a difference? Who's going to stand up? Who's going to be God's presence in that place? Where, when you look around you, do you see God's kingdom sadly absent? The other list, not the good one. God's calling us, you and me, make a difference. How can you make a blessing? How can you make a stand? I'm going to invite the band uh, to come and lead us again as we come into land right now. Uh, we are almost there.
And you may already be making a stand in this talk of persecution or people giving you a hard time as you've made a stand. That may already be your, uh, your experience. Uh, I had the real pleasure this week of uh, dropping my middle boy, my middle child, uh, off at university. He's just started down at Loughborough and uh, he um, has signed up for the go-karting club. Uh, so... Um, He's going to be putting his time to good use. And uh, I was down, as I said, at the start visiting my dad. He's down in Wiltshire. And uh, to get back up to Sheffield, you have to travel up the mighty M1, uh, which is usually a reasonable drive. Uh, but it was absolutely throwing it down with rain yesterday. And I had that beautiful moment at about 65, 70 miles an hour when the front wheels just and steering went light as I aquaplaned uh, along the M1. It was a beautiful moment. But it did mean that I was passing Loughborough. So I called in. He's been there five days. Uh, he needed feeding, I was sure. I asked him to sort out where it was where, that we were going to be eating. Uh, we went for a burger. Uh, my boy doesn't change. But I asked him the question, have you outed yourself yet as a Christian? And he went, yeah, I have, Dad. I thought, wow, it took you three years before Dad was no longer working just in an office, but he was working in a church. Mate, I'm so proud of you. He's up front. He's out there. Response has been, I think, apathetic at best at the moment. But he's taking that step into the adult world. And he's just owning the fact that he's a Christian. It's a really brave thing to do. <clears throat> Are you ready for the opposition That's, uh, that will come our way? Let's stand together, shall we? God's calling us to take a stand. Let's take a stand. <clears throat> and I'm going to ask the band to tinkle and to strum because they're very good at that. And I don't know what the Lord is saying to you tonight. This isn't designed to make you feel guilty, but to know that you're loved. To ask the question about who it is that you are. Because I know and have reminded us tonight what God says about us, about who we are. That not only does he love us, but he has a purpose for us. So let's just close our eyes. Let's just come before the Lord. Father, I pray that your spirit would rest on this place. Father, where there are some of us here that are wearing really unhelpful labels, that things have been spoken over us, Father, I pray that your spirit would just come and confirm on us tonight that we are your children, beloved by the King. Father, I pray tonight that you would open our eyes to the places and the spaces and the faces that surround us. And Lord, that you would just put in each of our minds just one person that needs to know that they are loved, that there is a better way. And Father, I pray that you would crack open our hearts Lord, that you would give us your compassion for those around us. Lord, that you'd cause us to serve, that you'd cause us to bless. And Father, that we would, as we go into this week, 
Take a stand for your kingdom, knowing that the consequences that follow, Lord, are all in your hands anyway. When you call us again, Lord, when you send us in the name and the power and the presence of your son, Jesus, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.